I'm Sue Berman and this is Real Gold. This month, Tamaki Pātaka Kōrero Central City Library celebrates an activation of Fashion Week. To discuss the casebook and the images on the walls, Harriet Rogers, who's our Heritage Collections Library Assistant, and Harriet also brings an additional specialist knowledge in costume, fashion and textile, so the perfect person to talk about um, this book with us this morning. So kia ora Harriet. Kia ora Sue. Thanks very much for making the time. What have you selected for our Real Gold this month? So for Real Gold this month, uh, we're going to have the Ladies' Museum which is an English women's uh, periodical magazine, uh, which was, uh, this edition, which is in the case, um, was published in 1831. Its original name was the Ladies' Monthly Museum or Polite Repository of Amusement and Instruction. <laughs> which in itself is quite amusing. <laughs> it is, yeah, quite a mouthful. And quite a mouthful. And so what might feature in this monthly ladies magazine. So this was a magazine for uh, middle and upper class ladies and it was fairly typical of its time. So this was the period when women's magazines were really starting to come into their own and um, new titles were published all the time. Mm. This one, it featured all the sort of standard elements that we might expect in a women's magazine today. So it would have gossip columns and sometimes recipes, uh, reviews of recent shows, musical productions, pu recent publications of books. Uh, but it also included a lot of poems and serialised stories. Right. Um, so you'd get you know, the next instalment each month of the story. Mm. And it was a, a, a UK publication? Yes, yes, so it was published in England and it also included quite a lot of news about the continent, so fashions from France as well. Mm -hmm. And so it had, um, obviously, you know, we're looking at Fashion Week for, for this month. Um, it had sort of illustrated garments, yes, as so you can that's see. Sort of these beautiful images are from this book? Yes, that's right. So um, that's sort of one of the most exciting features of uh, this magazine was that every month uh, there'd be published two or three plates, fashion plates, of illustrations of the latest ladies' fashions, um, and these were hand-coloured. And as you can see from the images, the colours have been really mm. well-preserved. They're still very bright and vivid. Um, so what we have on display is a selection um, of the different types of dresses and outfits that would have been worn by women. So this book um, that you see is actually the full 12 months of 1831 ah, bound together. So right. um, as we can only have it open to one of the pages, we've got some other images on display to show you the fashions from different months, different times of the year. So you can see there's uh, walking dresses which are quite light and bright cottons, light floaty fabrics. So they would have been from the summer months. Um, whereas there's a, a dress in a much heavier fabric with fur trimmings and a velvet hat, so that's a, from the winter months. Do you know much in terms of the, the history of this time period, how women would go from seeing this image in a magazine to procuring such a dress themselves? Yeah, so there wasn't really ready-to-wear fashions in the same way that we have today. Um, so uh, alongside the image of of these dresses mm. was a description which was quite detailed and it told you what type of fabric it was made from, um, what type of lace was the trimming, 
and the other decorations, feathers and embroidery. Um, it told you the colour, but I think when ladies went and had their dresses made up by their dressmaker, obviously they could choose whatever colours suited them or what was available in right. their local area. Because there are quite a lot of trimmings, aren't there? There are a lot <laughs> of trimmings. Sort of going on there. <laughs> that was um, the real fashion of the times, I think, was the, the more the better. <laughs> yeah. um, especially for evening dresses and ball dresses. It was a real chance to show off mm. your wealth, I think, was mm. the, the sort of... And the headpieces, you know, are in themselves just... They're quite amazing, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So I think um, false hair would have been used to help achieve that look, especially for evening wear. Mm. Whereas in the daytime, um, the hair would have been, you would have seen the hair at the front, but it mostly would have been covered by some kind of hat or bonnet. Mm. Um, so is this, would you say this is the earliest of the fashion magazines that we have in our collection? Or it's one of the earliest, mm. yeah, and this, um, so this was recently purchased by Auckland Libraries um, at, the, at an auction earlier this year, and it is the only copy in New Zealand, so it's a real great opportunity to see something quite special and unique. Indeed. So I'm looking at these three images on the wall, and I'm just completely blown away by the sleeves, you know, by the sheer bulk of the fabric. Um, that's going on there. Yeah, Can so this this was really the height of enormous sleeves. So um, <laughs> from the beginning of the 19th century, when a real soft neoclassical style was in with a small puffed sleeve, that just got bigger and bigger over the next two or three decades until 1830 when uh, the sleeves were so big they actually had to be supported underneath by frames or sometimes uh, cushions stuffed with feathers to hold out the shape. Wow. Um, and as you can see with this off-the-shoulder neckline that was fashionable for evening wear, that combined with the huge sleeve meant that women really couldn't move their arms very much at all. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they weren't going out for brisk walks or anything. No, <laughs> no. And as well as that, of course, they had uh, corsets which brought their waists in to be teeny tiny, as you can see in the pictures, and then the small waist was emphasised even more by the skirts getting bigger and bigger, wider and wider. So they're not quite at uh, the point of the huge circular skirt that you imagine from Victorian fashions, mm. but they're well on their way. Indeed. <laughs> and the footwear's interesting, sort of like a court shoe. Of yeah, I think they're little slippers. Um, they're not drawn in as much detail as, some, as the rest of the outfit. Mm presumably because ladies had their own shoes already that they would maybe dye if they were you know, made from silk or something, they would dye them to match the, the colour of their latest evening dress. Mm. Um, and during the daytime, as you can see maybe with the riding outfit, there would have been a slightly sturdier uh, little shoe oh, for riding. Right. <laughs> is, it, is it a kind of a pant or is it just that it's got more flexibility in the skirt? Outfit. It's got more flexibility in the skirt, so it's a bit, the um, fabric is gathered up a bit to give, so that there's more fabric, I suppose, so that you can spread it out when you're sitting on the horse. Um, and then the sleeve is a lot softer as well to give you more movement with your arms. And the hat is more like a men's top hat than, mm. than the really frilly over the top bonnets and hats. I was going to ask about <laughs> men's fashion in relation to, to this. Was there an, sort of an equivalence or, you know, where did men get to understand or see the latest in their fashion? Yeah, um, I'm not 
too sure about that actually. Um, mm. I assume that there must have been an equivalent where men could go to their tailor and have things made up to the latest fashions. Um, but there are definitely never any illustrations in this magazine because it was you know, obviously aimed at a female readership mm. exclusively. So just going back to looking at, at these plates, um, you know, you mentioned before that they, they're hand coloured, which yes. I guess um, they would have been using some kind of dyeing or painting process. Could you know much about that? Um, I think they, they've all been hand coloured with um, paint, I think. Mm. Um, and as you can see, they've sort of retained that really vivid colour that they had originally. Mm. And how true to colour do you think it would have been in terms of in relationship to fabrics? And I think that very bright colours were in vogue for fashions at this time. Um, it's still quite a long time before synthetic dyes were uh, discovered. That was in 1856. Right. Um, but so this all would have been natural dyes to create these colours. Um, but obviously you can see that those really bright, almost garish combinations of colours were fashionable mm. and women would have been trying to reproduce these in their own outfits. And so the dyes that they were using are, are drawn from nature? Like, yes, yeah, know, from plants. I know the onion skin gives you yeah, a nice orange. Yellowy orange, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they would have been from plants and um, red came from a beetle. Wow. Um, so some of them would have been quite expensive to produce because they only you know, would have come from certain parts of the world and had to be imported. Amazing. So again, colour was, at this point especially, a symbol of wealth as well because if you could afford those really bright colours, that showed something about, <laughs> about your standing in society. And so here we have these, this, this annual, or a binding of all of the, these series from this, from this one year. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just have the one years. That's right, of, just right. 1831. Did, did it run for very long, this, this series? It started uh, in the 18th century, end of the 18th century, and it ran until, this was right at the end really of its run, so it, it ended in 1832. Right. Um, but other ones were springing up, you know, to take its place, but this particular title um, just went, ran for those years. And here we are all these years later in Auckland and Fashion Week, mm -hmm. getting to have a look at it. So getting some inspiration for our own wardrobes. Well, that's right. Gosh, I'm in those headpieces. Like just something else. <laughs> so thank you so much, Harriet. Thank you. You've been listening to Real Gold, exploring the treasures of the heritage and research collections of Tamaki Pātaka Kōrero, Auckland Libraries. To discover your own heritage treasures, check out the Kura Heritage Database, available via the Auckland Libraries website.